Morning. Tell you what, I was going out the door this morning. My baby boys woke up before I made it out. Daddy, you going to work? I said, yeah, you could say that. I ain't going to lie, I kind of, as uncomfortable as this is, I kind of enjoy this more than work, if you could believe that. Uh, while I'm shuffling around up here, y'all want to turn to Matthew 25, please. And I just got to say, praise God, that we have the talent in our church that we do. You know, here, Brother Jim ain't here. and I mean, we just got, it's like we've got, I don't want to call it second, third string, but it's like we got a continual first string of musicians in this church. I think that's something to be thankful for. You get other places and visiting and things like that, you forget you don't realize how blessed we are until you would maybe go to some other churches that aren't quite as blessed in that area. So I thank God for that. But uh, anyhow, Brother Jim's been going through a series he calls The Investigation of the Church. And I've done some reflecting on that. Uh, what does that mean for us who are in the church? You know, uh, and, and and I'm not looking to to wow anybody with a... Wow, I never thought of that kind of kind of a sermon. This is this is very much like adding rebar to concrete. Like I'm just trying to, you know, firm it up. So, what does it mean for us? Well, it's a call to act. You know, it's a call to act at home. It's a call to act. You know, at, at our workplace. It, it's a call to to be the church. It's a call to be the lights that we're called to be. This sermon is a call to persevere because you will tire, you will burn out, and you will struggle. We're guaranteed that. Christ lets us know that early on, that, that to, take up, to take up his cross is essentially you're, you're signing your own death warrant. And that's something that a lot of people don't, you know, too often we, we preach, we preach this, this message of, if you come to Christ, hang on, get this verse out of here. But you come to Christ, and, and it's all a, a a message of life's going to be sunshine and rainbows. Life's going to be full of blessings and health and wealth, and that's not what we're promised. So, if we're all in Matthew twenty-five, I'm going to pray real quick, and we'll get into this thing. Lord, I want to come to you this morning and. And thank you for the opportunity to share your word with our church family. I pray, Lord, that you'll do like you always do, and you'll speak to hearts and humble hearts in a way that your servant cannot. Um, I've done the studying. I've read your word. But I'm only going to be able to convey this so well. So I pray that you'll take this message and you'll lay it on everyone's heart. And your will will be done and you'll be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Matthew 25, we are going to read the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. If y'all wouldn't mind to stand for reading God's word. It says, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. 
Now, five of them were wise, and five of them were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps with no oil in them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. At midnight, a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell. Buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, and he said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. May God bless the reading of his word. Y'all can have a seat. So, not necessarily one of the parables that get gets put on a billboard necessarily all the time, but definitely a resounding similar message to all the other parables around. All the other parables before and after this one are speaking to the return of Christ. Is it going to be a speedy return? Is it going to be a lengthy return? When is he coming? How should you be in the meantime? On the outside, our ten virgins aren't noticeably different in any way. Like on the outside, we have, we have ten virgins who are all awaiting a bridegroom. We have ten virgins who all have lamps. We have ten virgins who all took a nap and who are all asleep. So this is a depiction, and, and again, parables you're not often supposed to allegorize them. You're not supposed to attribute symbols to things that, that, don't, that don't really have those symbols. But we're told at the end of this passage, Jesus refers to the bridegroom as the Son of Man. We know from every other parable that if Jesus is the bridegroom, we know the church is the bride of Christ. There's some things that we can, we can take from other parables. You use Scripture to interpret Scripture. So... The virgins who are waiting are the depiction of the church. Whenever we get to verse 8, that's whenever we find our differentiation. Verse 8 is whenever we figure out who the foolish virgins are and who the wise virgins are. Everybody's lamp was lit. I think that this is one of the key takeaway. Like, we're not going to grasp this until we understand that up until verse 8, you could not tell me who was the five wise and who were the five foolish. That, that's, that's heavy. On the outside, everything looked the same. But when the bridegroom showed up and the time was to go out to meet him, there were only half of them who were actually prepared on the inside. There were only half of them who actually had what it took going on on the inside to go meet the bridegroom. It's not, it's not that the foolish 
weren't waiting just like the wise ones. It's not like they hadn't put their time in. It's not like they weren't a part of the welcoming party. They, it was accepted that they were, they're right there. We're told there's 10 of them. Like, like I'm really trying to drive this point home that, that there is absolutely zero difference up to this point, but they hadn't truly prepared. This parallels when Jesus, or the bridegroom's answer, rather, it parallels over in Matthew chapter 7. You don't have to turn there, but if you want to. Uh, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I'll declare to them that I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. We, we, we find our parallel. So, so it's safe to say that the people who were preaching and prophesying and casting out demons, these are people that are like the ten virgins. These are people in the church. One thing that Ben said that I liked was is that, you know, God will, God will be glorified whether we get burned up in our fiery furnace or he saves us from the fiery furnace. I have zero doubt that God will use people that, that declare one thing but mean another. God will be glorified. God doesn't, doesn't depend on where we fall because we're nothing but man. If it were left to us, we'd, we'd, we'd let him down every time. But whenever we're faithless, he remains faithful. We are called... As Christians, and we've learned this through our investigation of the church, we are called to repent, believe, and preach the gospel. Now. Not next week. Not two weeks. Now. This is something that, that I've, I've personally struggled with a lot because up to now, I'll be 29 next month, I've, I've kind of... I've kind of lived like a few other people in, in a passage we're about to get to, that uh, my time's now. I, I'm, I'm like these, these foolish virgins who have a lamp lit, but there's nothing, there was nothing on the inside. You know, I think very quickly, you know, as the church, we often, we, we always, I, I said this the last time I got to preach, is we always read our Bibles like a yearbook. You know, we are the... We look for the pages we're on. We're the sympathetic characters. We're, we're, the, we're the underdogs in the story. We're, we are always the ones that, the good guy, that's us. But I couldn't tell you where I heard it, but, but there was a man who preached on Proverbs, and he spoke about the wise man and the fool. He said, and if you read Proverbs like, like an imperative of, you know, a wise man will do, do all these things, and a fool does these things, so I just need to do what the wise man does, you're missing the point. The Proverbs are not so you can figure out what you need to do to be a wise man. The Proverbs are so you know that you're the fool. That's, that's a hard pill to swallow. That's a, I don't want to be a fool. I'm sure none of us in here want to be fools. But it's so that we'll know our need for something more than ourselves. Because in and of ourselves, we will always be the fool. This hasn't been a sprint so far. It's been a marathon. It's 
been 2,022 years since Christ. We're still waiting. That, that takes nothing away from Christ. But it goes to show that we, if we are to endure, this isn't something that's just going to happen next week. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. But we're going to have to be ready either way. We need to have the zeal that the early church had whenever Jesus had just... Imagine it was Easter week. Jesus has just preached to you. He just got crucified. He just died. Just rose out of the tomb. And he said he's coming back quickly. That you, we, I'd live different. I would assume we would all live different. I feel like there's a level of, of, of dullness that we reach now that it's been 2,000 years. We're like, well, he hasn't came back yet. So what's, what's the big deal? I'll take a nap. I won't worry about filling my lamp. Because when the time does come, somebody's got a lamp full I can use. But we're told in this parable it doesn't work like that. We've got a short attention span, and the world's outside forces never seem to help us. You know, we have a hard time staying on track for the gospel. You know, uh, one place could be work. I know personally, I this new position that I've just taken, it it's a struggle because about noontime, you're, I'm, I mean, at least me, I mean, of course, I'm a little, I tend to be a little more fallen than some, I think. I'm, I'm ready to wrestle somebody, you know. It's a, uh, the my best side is not always prevalent whenever I get around the people of my work. You know, I, I tend to want to stoop to levels where they stay, but I know that there's a level I should be on. If I'm set apart, if I'm part of the church, if I'm not this fallen creature that I once was, there's a call for how I'm to act. Maybe it's home. Maybe, maybe, maybe you have a harder time with how you deal with your spouse or your kids or your brothers or your parents. I mean, this list goes on and on. I, too, have been that guy. I mean, we, we get it from every angle. This isn't something that, that just... You know, oh, well, I'll just quit my job. If I could just get away or get a different job, then, then I'd get along with everybody. Or if I could, God forbid, but if I could just get away from my family for a while, then I'd be okay. Maybe it's your friendships. Maybe there's certain friends that you hang around that just drain the oil from your lamp. Friends are a little bit of a gray area because you can leave those. But we're not, we're not called to necessarily leave, unless it's just a direly unhealthy place to be. We're actually called to be those lamps. If you're the wise guy, we, can't, we see in the parable, we, we can't give our oil. That's not what we can do. But we can't be an empty vessel and expect to be of any use to anybody who doesn't have any oil. You're neither if you're the empty vessel. How do we keep our lamps full? We're told that we're supposed to put on the whole armor of God. In Ephesians chapter 6, get there. verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God 
that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of this darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand, and in the evil day, having done all, to stand. Take up the whole armor of God so that, and I'm tying this together, that your lamp might be full. That when the bridegroom shows up, that you may be prepared. What does that look like? It goes on to say, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith which with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now, I related with that passage in a way that I've never related to it just in the past couple weeks. Uh, you know, I, I've got a friend. I've got a few friends, but I've got, I've got one in particular, and I won't name any names, but he and I are kind of like fire and gasoline. And maybe everybody in here has got a friend like that. You know, it seems like you put us together and we could burn town down. But for our own glory, of course. You know, that, that, that's, a, that's a sinful brush fire, not, not a godly lamp, you know. And, and he came to me with an issue, and, and his resolution to this issue, I knew not to be godly. Now, is that due to my godliness? Absolutely not. But God, God's... I feel like God's worked in my life. I feel like God's shown me errors where I have erred. And I had a choice. Could, could, I, could I chance this 30-year this friendship that we've had in telling the gospel or, or, you know, what God would have him do? Or could I just be the buddy and say, you know what? You should do that because deep down it's probably going to make him happy. Now, it's not going to be a joy of the Lord he's going to find. It's going to be a, a, a selfish, self-seeking, get the picture. And I had to tell him, and I took a chance. And I told him, I, I said, buddy, I said, you know, I thought the same thing. I said, but thank God that, that I, I'm, God worked in my heart to change my heart. For, for instance, this, this fellow was talking about his wife. And it was a, I think I'll be happier without her moment. And I said, I can tell you that ain't the case. You know, that's, that's something a lot of us are scared to talk about. That, you know, being married, we're told whenever we're 18, 20 years old, and we're considering it that that's, you know, it's always sunshine and rainbows. You love them forever. But nobody talks about the endurance. And and for me personally, that's been that's been one of the greatest uh, acts of God in my life is blessing my marriage. Uh, but anyway, moving on. That doesn't mean that we won't face trials, 
but we will be prepared. The whole armor of God prepares you for those trials. So James, over here in James, uh, James lets you know that, my brethren, you should count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. You know, I think we're getting a picture made here. Where, where do you buy your oil from? Where do you get to fill your lamp? We can't count on, and we are blessed to have Brother Jim, and we're blessed to have our music that we have, and we're blessed to have this building but we cannot count on one day a week of showing up to First Baptist Church or two days a week even. We cannot count on that keeping our lamps full. If we don't leave here and stay in the Word, if you don't leave here and seek God's will on our lives, our lamps are going to run dry. We're in the crowd. We're in the ten. But we're the five foolish who think that we're going to have some oil left over from everybody else on Sunday. We have to prepare. Once our race is ran and the bridegroom arrives, we all want to be like Paul. I love Paul. I like Paul because Paul makes me feel like less of a dirtbag until later on he's live. <laughs> I think to myself, if God can make a good work in Paul, maybe I'm okay, you know. But this man makes it to the end of his life. And I flipped to the wrong page. There it is. Paul makes it to the end of his life. One passage here, he says, he's writing to Timothy, and he says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That piggybacks what I just read earlier. But that's leading into Paul letting Timothy know what the end of the race is like. You know, I, I don't know how familiar we all are with Timothy, but Timothy is like the son that Paul never had. You know, he's letting him know that I'm, my time is done. My race is run, and I'm about out of this thing. Somebody needs to pick up the torch. So in chapter 4, verse 6, Paul lets him know, he says, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That's such a wonderful... We don't get that. Put yourself on your deathbed, and I think we get that. Think, think, think that that they're coming down the hall to get you, and you're going. You know your death is scheduled. I've never had that. I can't. I can't envision that. Like not just a a sick 
and I think I'm going to get better. These boys are coming to kill me, and I know that it's happening. Paul doesn't ask Timothy to get the same crew together that prayed Peter out of jail. He says, praises to God that I get the opportunity to die for Christ and his cause. It's huge. I, I can honestly say that I don't think that I'd be the same way. Even standing here before you today and bringing you the message, I don't know that my heart is in a place that I couldn't say, Timothy, get that crew together and, and pray me out of here. Y'all got to spring me. Like, we, we, I still got work to do. I haven't done everything I, ha- I had to do. I did not go get my oil that I needed for this meeting. I'm not prepared. Paul's convinced he's prepared. I'm convinced Paul's prepared. Paul's ready to meet the Savior. Like, that, that just, that excites me. Because it's like, I'm getting to look into the eyes of this man who says he's done all that he can do, and he's endured until the end. That's huge. He tells him, he says, Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me. Having loved this present world, he's departed for Thessalonica, Cretans for Galatia, and Titus for Dalmatia. Three of his missionaries, three of the men that helped get our early church up off the ground, have ditched him for the things of this world. Pick your best friends. Pick your, your pastor. I don't know. Take your, your, your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, somebody that's like this to you, and they ditched you. When the going got tough or something funner came along, they are gone. The folks that were looking to you, that you hoped that their lamps were full, are empty. They're out. These particular guys ain't even asking for oil. They went to light a brush fire. They don't need the Lord's oil. I love this part. He says, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's useful to me in ministry. I read right over that the first time, but little history lesson. Paul and Barnabas split ways whenever they split. On account of Mark. Paul didn't want nothing to do with Mark. This vessel he didn't think was was worth their time to bring him along is actually the guy he's asking for in his hour of need. He's one of them who's got a full lamp. His guys he thought had them, they didn't. My point being, when the bridegroom shows up, Up until he shows up, we don't know who's got a full lamp and who doesn't. We can't count on the the three guys. Hard telling how many years he's invested into these three guys. They they weren't there to help him. They they weren't there to pick up the torch and to carry on and, and do the good work that God put in Paul's heart to get done. But the cat who Paul would have just as soon never called him back, hey, bring him with you. Because I guess I need him. Why it's so important to make sure that our own lamps are full. 
Because those, if we put our faith in those that are with us in this race, we might get to the end of the race and realize there's nobody there to, to pick us up. We can't count on one service a week. We can't count on, you know, maybe, maybe two. You know, we can't count on one, even one hour a day. I know that seems like a lot. I mean, it, it's, it is a lot. It, it's hard to find an hour even in this busy, busy time that we have. But it's like we're, we're told to put on the whole armor of God. We, we want to be maximally blessed with minimal obedience. We want God to show up every single instance that we need it but we'll scroll Facebook for five, six hours a day. I get my screen time thing every Sunday. I don't know if all y'all do or not as well, but I know that it, on Sundays, I never feel more guilty for how much time I've spent on Facebook than whenever I get that screen report thing. I'm, they lay it out. Like, I got a feeling, like, I, I hate to equate Facebook and, or iPhone and the Lord, but whenever I get to heaven, God's going to say, okay, you spent 10 years doing this, 20 years doing this. It's not just like that, that, that 30 minutes here and there, you know. I'm going to be guilty. Oh, I'm going to be guilty. Thank God Christ is going to be standing there going, I know he's a dirt bag, but he's my dirt bag. I've got this covered. So, don't think that we cannot be like Demas, like Christians, like Titus, or somebody else we know who wasn't all that much unlike those fellas either. Let's see where I can find him at. He's over here. There's a guy we know. He was. My, he was a rock. He was the man. Jesus Christ looked at this man and he said, "He said, you get it. God Himself revealed this to you, and, and you know who I am." He had the head knowledge, but he didn't have a heart yet. He had a head knowledge, but he didn't have oil in his lamp. Somebody just like Demas, Christians, and Titus is Peter. Now we know how Peter finished his race. Praise God. But it didn't look that bright from the start. Peter in chapter 26 of Matthew says, Now Peter sat outside the courtyard. A servant girl came to him, saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. This isn't enough that he just, he just took off to town. This isn't enough that, that Peter just, you know, he just veered. Peter didn't just veer here. Peter, Peter walked right up to point A, and then Peter turned around and ran the other way. Peter didn't just kind of hit church one Sunday a month or even once a week. Peter completely said, he denied it. I do not know what you are saying. When he'd gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But he, he denied her again. 
I do not know the man. Not, well, you know, we get this a lot in our modern, in our modern society that, you know, when people tend to be from other religious backgrounds and they'll say, well, you're Jesus, he was a good teacher. But I can't say that he was the Messiah. And then there, there are people who will be okay and say, yeah, okay, we can agree he was a good teacher. He didn't even do that here, folks. A little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. And he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. He, he's willing, think of the biggest sailor you know, and he's cussing to that degree that he doesn't know Jesus Christ. And we all think, I wouldn't dare. I hate to tell y'all, but we all have. At some point or another, you have. Whether you know you had or not, that, that's a different discussion. But I promise at some point, from the time you've been born, you were born into a fallen state. You were born at enmity with God. I promise. I stand here before you today, and I just I praise God that I understand to what degree that I was born fallen. I'm no better today than I was 20 years ago or 10 years ago or even a year ago. The only difference between me today and the me that was Peter in this story is that I realize I can't do it on my own. I realize that my only ticket into heaven is the fact that Jesus Christ said I could be there. That's it. I have no right. There's nothing I could do. Me standing here this morning gets me no more brownie points with the Savior than if I sat in a tavern until 2 o'clock this morning. No more. Immediately the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and he wept bitterly. That's repentance. Get the picture. He repented. He didn't try to reason with Christ. He didn't try to go back and tell everybody, hey, I was wrong. I shouldn't have said that. I really am in there. It's too late. Who are you when the rubber meets the road? How full is your oil in your lamp? When the bridegroom shows up or when something happens that you, people are watching you, you are the light. You are salt and you are light. Nobody cares once you've said it. Nobody cares once you've did it. Because once you have time to go out and weep bitterly, too late. Are we Paul whenever he's looking down a gun barrel? Or are we Peter whenever he was looking down a gun barrel? 
The only way we can be a godly light is if we keep our own lamps full. You know, I, I, I wouldn't, I, I, talk about, I talk about this job, and it's like I had an instance, I don't know, I think it was the second week I was there. Everybody's been the new guy at some point, I'm sure, so maybe you can relate with this. But there's a man that everybody let me know, they said, he's a tough guy. Better look out. I'm thinking, hoo tough guy. He showed up, hooping and hollering. And the first day he did it, it was easy. First day he did it, I was in a good mood. It was Friday. It was 2 o'clock. Not going to lie, I've been listening to some good bluegrass music all afternoon. I'd just been pushing dirt. I was in my element. He caught me in a good mood. And he showed up yelling, and I opened the door, and all I said was, Hey, buddy, it'll be okay. Whatever you need, I'm here for you. Changed his tune. Absolutely. This is great. My lamp was full. But he met me Monday morning with the exact same attitude. He pulls up, jumps out of his truck. He throws his old hands in the air, and he says, Hey! And I opened up that high lift door and I looked at him. I said, what? He said, I don't know what that looks for. I said, you're about to find out. My lamp was empty. I done threw it on the ground. I done decided I was about to burn this job down. But before I did, I remember Friday. Now, I'm not a hero in this story because if he'd have jumped, as soon as I said he's going to find out, we'd have wrestled. I promise. I'm not there. God's working on me every day. Don't model after me. I promise we'll all end up in a bad spot. But I remembered Friday, and I thought, just a split second, what's going to glorify God? And I got a chance to get the truck with him later. Before I said anything I was going to regret, and I let him know again, I replayed Friday. I said, buddy, if, if there's anything you need, just let me know. Now, I was scared. I ain't going to lie. I want I wanted to share the gospel with him. I still don't know how. I'm, I'm, afraid, I'm afraid that if I would say something to him, I, am I afraid of getting laughed at? No. Am I afraid that he wouldn't receive it? Probably. I don't have an answer for that. But one thing that I learned putting all this together is God didn't ask me to have an answer for that. This parable and all these other passages that we went through this morning aren't about having answers. Holy Spirit's job to change hearts, not yours. It's your job to be a light. It's not your job convince men like the guy in my story why he ought to be a little nicer or why he ought to be a child of God. It's not your job. Your job, just like in, our, in Brother Jim's series that we've been doing, if we are the church, it's your job to be prepared. It's your job to put on the armor of God. It's your job to be ready. It's your job to be a light. tough pill to swallow for me because I want to handle it. My me monster wants to handle it. 
I want to turn me loose on people. But, but TJ's a sinful, fallen creature. And 20, 30 years from now, I'll still be a sinful, falling creature. And if, if Lord willing, I make it that long, 40, 50 years from now, I'll still be more content in my own flesh to rip somebody to shreds if he wants to raise his voice to me or be disrespectful. But who do I think that I am? That I shouldn't be entitled to those persecutions that my master faced? Who do I think that I am? When I'm told, here's your book. I'm told, here's your book. Put it on. Go to work. Preach the gospel. Paul told me, I've got a ministry. You have a ministry. It'd say you're not going to get hated for it. Jesus lets you know that if you, to take up his cross, as I said earlier, you're signing your own death warrant. But what will a man profit should he gain the whole world and lose his soul? It's a simple thing to ask our Savior asks us to do. It ain't so simple to do it. I pray that God will work on everybody's hearts as he has mine and opened up my, open up eyes as he has mine in this message. I'm preaching to me just like I'm preaching to y'all. And, and the only reason I, I, I was solidified that this was the message that was supposed to come this morning is because it absolutely breaks my heart. I feel like I can persevere in most anything I've ever set my mind to do, but for some reason... The Lord's work is the one thing that I don't mind to put on a back burner. And I've done it more times than I care to admit from this pulpit my entire life. Brother Tim, would you close us? Amen. I don't see any musicians, and y'all probably don't want to hear me pick a country number, so I I think that's it for this morning. I appreciate everybody showing up, and I pray that God will work in y'all's hearts like he has mine, and that we'll all try to fill our lamps this week. Thank you.